I just wanted to say a big thank you for joining us on the eighth session of the Hospitality Resilience Series. These sessions to date have covered many topics, including nutrition, mindfulness, sleep, and others. This Hospitality Resilience was created and designed to help all of us navigate through this very uncertain world. One thing is for sure, change, constant change and rapid change is going to envelop us all. We reached out to experts to help us to adapt, reposition, rethink and help us find our balance and compass during these times to better prepare ourselves for the future. This series is created by your hosts, John Hazan from Atlas Coaching and Chris Mumford from Service Leadership and myself, Jonathan Humphreys from Hokuso and Gleon Institute of Higher Education. I would like to thank everyone who made this series possible. And so without further ado, I would like to hand over to my co-host, John Hazan, who's going to introduce today's topic. Thank you very much, John. Thank you, Jonathan. And welcome, everybody, to our eighth edition of the Hospitality Resilience Series. Thank you so much for joining us. As Jonathan said, a lot of disruption over the last 14 months. We all know that. We get that. And when we looked at some of the key questions that we face as leaders today, one of the ones that sprang to mind was, okay, so, so what has changed for leaders? And how do they adapt? And as ever, <laughs> there is no simple general answer to this question. In truth, each leader must look to their own situation to answer this. Leaders need to look holistically at both their environment, their organization, their organization's structure and culture, and of course, their own mindset when addressing this very challenging question. And so what did we do? We went out and asked one of our experts and today we are delighted to be joined by Patrick, who has worked in this space for many years and will undoubtedly be able to shed some wonderful insight and hopefully some light into this very challenging and intriguing topic. So in order to introduce Patrick, I will hand you over to Chris without further ado. Thanks. Thanks, John. Hi, everyone. My pleasure to welcome Patrick Gilmetti to the Hospitality Resilience Series. Patrick runs Gilmetti and Associates, and Patrick's main focus is on changing the world one leader at a time. He acts as a facilitator of dynamic, transformational, experiential leadership programs and is also a behavior-based executive coach. Born in Switzerland, Patrick currently knew at the age seven that he was meant for a career in hotels. And it wasn't long, actually, shortly after that, that he and I met. I was in New York. This is going back 20 years. And Patrick was hotel manager with Four Seasons at the famed Pierre Hotel in Manhattan. His Four Seasons career subsequently took him across four continents through a succession of general manager and regional VP roles. He then switched into HR for about five years, was vice president of human resources, Asia Pacific for Four Seasons, and then kind of culminated by bringing all of his experience and knowledge to bear in the role of global leadership trainer. Patrick speaks regularly on the four principles of leadership, dynamic versus static leadership. And I have to say, we're especially grateful and lucky to have him with us today, given that he and his wife, Margaret, live in Chicago where it's just gone seven in the morning. So thanks for getting up early, Patrick, with the birds for us today. Let's get the conversation going. Maybe as a starting point, Patrick, if you mind, this theme of dynamic leadership, can you start with what's your definition of that? What does it mean? And perhaps what does it not mean? Yeah, thank you for that question. And thank you for a very generous introduction uh, to all of you. The question of what is dynamic leadership, I very frequently ask this to participants when I facilitate leadership work. I ask, what is it for you? And I hear answers like, you know, flexibility, adaptability, innovation, creativity. And then occasionally I say, what is it not? 
And sometimes I hear criticism and I would happen to be aligned with that. To me, dynamic leadership criticism, there's no room for that. In my seeing, there's a room for feedback. That would be dynamic and what have you. So in the domain of transformational leadership, I learned a module and I use that module all the time. And for me, it has become my truth. It is not necessarily the truth, but it is a perspective that I would like to offer. So maybe I can bring that model in and we'll get right to it. And let's see if I can use an example. There's a distinction between leading statically and dynamically. So I want to define both and see if we get some with this. For me, everything starts with an event. And an event could be something that is happening right now or that has occurred over time, over a certain period of time. So, you know, an event could be someone got fired from the job. An event could be somebody doesn't want to do the job anymore. An event could be an ill-functioning marriage. And I could go on. For demonstration purposes this morning, why don't we take the event COVID, COVID COVID-19, that has been an event, an event for the past 19 months. There are two different ways to react. You either resist or you accept. Why don't we start with resistance? And that would fall into the static leadership cycle. So the event here is, let's say, COVID. And most of us in some shape or form resist to that event. I sure did. The first two months, I was in complete denial. I was in a poor me attitude and a lot of energy went to that. I felt disheartened because I had a belief that the world has to look a certain way. The world has to look healthy. The world should allow me to be on planes. The world should allow me to be with people physically. The world should allow me to continue traveling to four continents to facilitate the work that I'm doing. That was all a belief and that held me back. So a belief normally is housed in the past. We make those beliefs up and they're very, very strong and they can be very strongly ingrained in us and they're housed in the past. Even if I'm in a static leadership cycle, I still lead, I take action. It's not a non-actionable space, but I would venture to say that action is happening from a place of automatic reaction. So it is an automatic, it's a robotic reaction, certainly not coming from a place of conscious choice. So in my book, I was grasping to continue to prospect. I was specifically in the world of hotel industry in the first few months. I mean, March, April of 2020, was that really a wise decision? I was just on auto doing what I normally do. So that to me defines static leadership. Here is what I'm creating. If I'm leading that way, I get to survive, or at least I generate same-same. I generate status quo. I generate a certain level of safety. I get to be right in that space because my way is the right way. So it's not that I generate no results. I typically do. They may even suffice. But I would say it takes the way the possibility from elevating. In this space, I'm rather comfortable because if I go on automatic or robotic, I'm pretty comfortable in that space because that's what I normally do. And it gives me this feeling of I'm in control, but I would venture to say I actually not. It's the illusion of control, which is quite tempting and alluring, but I'm anything but in control. But I have that illusion to somewhat retain control. That to me defines static leadership. If I go to the other cycle, that's the exact opposite. So dynamic leadership, the event doesn't change, COVID-19. At some point, probably about six or eight weeks when the event started to occur, at some point I shifted from resistance into acceptance. 
let's define acceptance. Acceptance to me, it's an objective inventory taking. It's an objective looking. It's a neutral looking. And I leave judgment out of the equation. And I leave emotions out of the equation. What do I mean by that? So I don't label the event as good or bad. I make it judgment-free. It is here, but I'm not here to judge it. It has happened. It is a fact, but I'm not here to judge it as right or wrong. So I'll make, to me, acceptance is a state of judgment-free. It's also emotions-free. And by that, I mean the emotions are there naturally. Do I like COVID? Of course not. But it is quite irrelevant whether I like it or don't like it. In other words, I don't get emphasis anymore to the emotions. So if I define acceptance as a state of taking inventory rather objectively, and neutrally without giving emphasis to judgment and to emotions, now I have a way forward. I call it the so what? Now what? Meaning so what would be the acceptance piece. And that leads me to now what? Now I can create a different way forward. I call it creating a new vision. I can create a different way forward. In my case, about two months into COVID, that meant, okay, let's take stock here. COVID, it is what it is. What are my options? And I quickly figured out that it was futile to seek business, meaning to facilitate leadership work in the hotel industry. People were not ready for it. They were surviving, nothing else. So I offered my work for a two-month period, three-month period, pro bono. And that gave me some work. It gave me some fulfillment. I was playing the purpose. And I actually had some clients in the hotel world who took me up on that offer in coaching, in virtual leadership facilitation, and I could do something about it. It also meant for me, I needed to shift from physical facilitation into virtual facilitation. I was a long time here, virtual facilitation. It's not my world. It's not my comfort zone. I need to be with people and touch with people and physically touch people. But I was very clear, hold on, an opportunity to shift from resistance into acceptance. Right now, it is virtual facilitation. And only once I operated from a place of acceptance, I could create that vision and was doing something about it. The moment when that happens is in the now. So it's not past-based. It's also not future-oriented. In my book, it's in the moment right now. And then if I'm in that place, I make some conscious choices. I do not operate from a place of robotic anymore, from a place of automatic anymore. I operate from a place of conscious choice. In my book, virtual facilitation is okay. Secondly, as I said beforehand, it is okay to offer pro bono work. I made a third conscious choice. I took time off. I took sabbatical in summer to provide self-care, a space that I've never taken before, ventured into before. So that place came from a very conscious choice. I said three months, no work. It was self-care. It was being in Switzerland with my family, spending time with my 92-year-old dad, practicing yoga every day for 90 minutes and meditating every day for 10. So it was a specific focus on self-care that came from a conscious choice place, but I could only do it once I started to accept that COVID is here. In this place, the good news and the bad news, the good news in this place is the opportunity to create something different, a new way forward, creating a new result, creating a new opportunity. That's the place of evolution. That's the place of continued growth. That is the good news. Here's the bad news. There is a price to pay if you operate in that world. It takes you out of the comfort zone. You know, I call it the feeling of, mm -hmm. it's a strange so sound that I'm making, but it's the feeling of, 
because I'm just not familiar with it. And that has me in that out of comfort zone. It's not comfortable. And despite me being not comfortable, it also requires a willingness to take risk. Going to a place that haven't gone previously. Those are two big prices to pay in that domain. And I want to be very conscious of that. Here's the third price to pay. The envisioned result, you know, the envisioned new opportunity, evolution, growth may materialize, but it also may not. It is possible that this new desired result, this elevated result will actually materialize. Great. It is also possible that it's not materialized. What most people do when the new result doesn't materialize, we go here. Okay, I tried, but it didn't work. And we go straight to resistance. A very healthy way would be to go here. Okay, great. It didn't work. Great. Make that neutral. Make that judgment free. Make that emotions free. And then you can go to, okay, create a new vision, which may be different from the first one that it created, but again, may present the opportunity of a new way forward. So Chris... That to me is an attempt at the definition for what it means to me leading dynamically. And everything that I said beforehand, leading from a point of view of flexibility, adaptability, creativity, innovation, and we can go on, all fills that space. It's just a different way of looking and a different place of come from. Patrick, I just want to focus. I have lots of questions, but I'm going to try and hone it down to just one for the time being. So much of this acceptance, well, at least from my understanding of the way that you communicated it, is the ability to be non-judgmental and to be non-emotional about the event itself and the impact that the event is having. Now, you gave COVID as an example, but it could be any situation. It could be, I've just lost my job, been made redundant. So these events can have significant impact. And through COVID, maybe there were people that were ill, et cetera. So these, how is it possible? How can we look at an event and try and be non-judgmental about the event? And when you say non-emotional, that's probably maybe not reacting to our emotions that take us into a static cycle. I presume that's where you're going. So how do we do this? Because it sounds that it's very easy to do once you know that you should just look objectively at the situation. How do you do this when you're obviously coaching leaders in this a lot, I would imagine, through you know your various companies that you've advised on? What techniques do you give them or situations do you ask them to kind of think about that allows them to be able to do this? I give you a very stupid and silly answer. I'm using the two cycles that I just used. I'm asking the participants or the people that I coach and work with. It's just a noticing. It's a noticing where are you right now? Are you resistant or are you operating from a place of acceptance? And resistance is not wrong because we go there very easily to make resistance wrong. No, it's not better or worse. Again, then you would even judge the two cycles. It's one is not better. The other one is not worse. It's just the noticing that's required. And I think maybe a coming to terms when I notice myself operating from a place of resistance I will not generate anything new. I will just generate the same. So it's it's actually a recognition and then a choice. So you can choose as well, but as long as you're conscious of the choice that you're making. Perfect. But you cannot make the choice before, you call it recognition, you can call it understanding, you can call it awareness, I call it acceptance. They're all very, very close to me. But in the acceptance piece, the judgment is out. And you're absolutely right. The emotionality is a more difficult one. There are emotions. Have you 
your emotions. The question is, how much emphasis do you give to the emotions? I was for six weeks in poor me mode. This is so unfair. I was blaming the world, maybe even blaming China for a second, which was a very, very unreasonable thought, frankly speaking. But I was just going to, how on earth could this happen? It's not fair. I went to blame and feeling very disappointed. I was shattered that the word was taken away from me. So much of my feeling, so much energy went into feeling shattered that every Every energy for a different way forward was taken away because so much energy went there. So that's what I mean by the emotions are there. Have your emotions. But it depends how much weight or emphasis do you give to them. And in acceptance, that weight of or emphasis of getting diminishes significantly in an ideal scenario goes to zero. The recipe how to do it is a noticing first, absolute awareness, and then making a decision. Where do you want to be right? And frankly speaking, sometimes I choose to stay in resistance. I absolutely make that choice. Ask my wife. I'm in resistance all the time. But when I notice that's no longer working for me, then I'm at choice point and I'm shifting very frequently the more I practice. And it's a constant, constant practicing that I practice and because I have the choice to shift into it. Doesn't make any sense? Listening to that, it's I'm aware of the awareness issue because this is like a muscle almost. You have to start yeah. exercising to build up. I mean, I think a lot of people get stuck at this point with even the noticing and then particularly with, it doesn't have to be a major event like COVID, but a small, could be a decision made in a meeting that you're not happy with or so, and you're busy with this day to day. So, I mean, I don't know, how did you develop that awareness or being able to be more present with building up your noticing ability? Were there things you did to help you exercise that muscle and get better at that? So I've been fortunate that I have been exposed to the world of transformation for about 15 months. And the first time I saw that cycle, I don't remember when it was, maybe about eight years ago. And it was just kind of poof. It was this huge aha moment for me. And then at some point I said, when I found my own company, could there be others also who may have a similar aha moment that I have? And I see it in trainings all the time. So when I do facilitate leadership work in that domain and work with teams, I bring that cycle in almost without fail. I use it in my coaching session almost without fail. And I see frequently the reaction. It's when I get the first time real attention of participants, there's something going on. It's that aha moment. For some of them, it's an epiphany. And for some of them, it's a slower awakening. But to me, it made such an impact, this ability to lock and then knowing that everything is a choice, everything who I am being and everything that I'm doing is a choice. When I somewhat got connected to that, that made a big impact. And that didn't need long. And listen, I'm still practicing. And the majority of my time, if I'm really honest, even as a somewhat slightly evolved leadership facilitator, I spend a lot of time in the static cycle because that's what we do. We slither automatically to that side because it's easier, it's more comfortable, and I have that thinking that I'm in control and I get to be safe and I get to be right and I can go on. It's just plain easier. The other one is harder, but the other one presents the opportunity for growth, for a new result, for evolution. And because I'm really connected to this and I sense that a lot of people that I work with very early on get connected to this. And then the more you practice, the easier it becomes. And it is a choice in every moment. You will not become, in my seeing, an evolved leader who practices dynamic own. I don't think. I think that's absolutely not happening. But it's the knowing that in every moment you have a choice. 
be resistant. Okay, if it works for you, stay here. Or if it's no longer for you, you have the ability based on choice. I'm intrigued by that concept, Patch. I think you're so right. The ability to fluctuate and that we don't see this as an either or. It's not a binary state that we should live in, but we should move fluidly between them. And indeed, we've touched on this earlier in the series with about style of leadership and the style of your leadership, be it collaborative or command and control, is sometimes dictated to you by not just your own mindset, by your environment. And I'm wondering, Patch, you talk about this choice and we've talked about awareness as one of those things driving that choice being aware in the first instance that we have the choice are there other drivers that you've experienced in your work with leaders that determine the need to move from one to t'other have you come across are there any trends any environmental factors that you've seen influence that fluidity yeah i would say so i would say in today's world change is really required right and changing mindsets i mean covid has probably one of the most impactful things that we in our lifetime have experienced as you manage I was general manager for quite a few years and I went through some hard times you know i.e. 2008 financial crisis I was in Thailand when a tsunami hit so things that really impacted me deeply but the last 15 months as a general manager based on my hearing what they went through I count my blessing that I'm no longer a general so where am I going with this? I think having been a GM the way I was is no longer sufficing today to be successful in that world. So if I were to go back into the game, I occasionally do for a couple of months. So if I'm going back into the game, a different approach is necessary, meaning I need to shift gear here. It's no longer be okay to just be with guests. That is a big job of a general manager, but it's also equally important to have a very, very solid marketing mind, to have a very solid financial understanding, to have a very acute sense of how do I need to be with different stakeholders, including ownership. I could go on. The job of a general manager has changed significantly. And in order to be successful, I think mindsets need to continue to be changed. I absolutely believe that this module that I just presented gives folks in any leadership position an opportunity to assess where am I right now? Is what I'm doing yielding the desired results? And if it's not, an opportunity to be aware, meaning in acceptance right now, my approach may not yield the desired results and don't make that wrong because I in the past would have gone to wrong I would then blame myself or I would blame the circumstances or I would blame the environment or I would blame the owner and I could go on that's all helpless that is all quite futile but if I just notice hold on my approach doesn't yield the desired results anymore it's that opportunity to stop to pause I'm aware and shift into dynamic meaning operating from a place of acceptance if that's really what you're committed to and it's harder than the other way it's hard Did I respond to your question or did I deviate too much? No, no, it's great. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's hard to make that shift. And if I've heard you correctly, often it can be results driven, which we probably all work on some level to that. If it's working for me, then I'll try it again. Is that fair to say that's a common denominator? Very fair to say. To me, listen, leadership is about results. We are asked to produce results all the time. In the hospitality industry, leaders, whether GM, hotel manager, planning committee members, department heads, they're asked to produce results all the time. And they're measured based on how they deliver results. We are measured on it. So I absolutely think there is a results component to this. And, you know, the work that I do, and I think that's the only reason why I'm in business, it has a results focus. It's not just about having people feel better about themselves. If that is a side component, that's awesome. And that's what I want it to be. But it is very, very much a results focus. Absolutely. I suspect I might know what you're going to say when I say this, but I'm just thinking about environment, Patrick, and culture, and thinking about organizational culture and the space 
perhaps you may need to better do this. And, you know, how important or how necessary is, you know, having the framework or, or culture around you to enable you to take a more dynamic approach, maybe do things differently as opposed to the way it's always been done. Does that factor in or is that irrelevant because it's all down to what you choose to do? Such a great question. Totally. I think that transformational work only works if there's a readiness somehow for transformational work. The good news in that, in my limited seeing, I've been facilitating this work over the last five years. The good news is that I see there is a hunger for transformational work. I see it in the workforce, starting with aligned employees, starting with supervisory level, what have you. There is a hunger for that work. And let's call a spade a spade, even if that has me in uncomfortable. I absolutely see this as being very present. I think that's one of the reasons why I've been kept in business. But does the environment need to support it? Yes. If the organizational culture is hell-bent on sticking with what in the past, because I need to be right about that, not much will change. So I genuinely believe that a company culture better supports organizational growth, organizational change, changing mindsets and what have you. I believe so. In my seeing, and maybe that's just because I'm lucky to have those clients, I absolutely see that readiness and an embracing of organizational change and changing mindsets. And I used the word hunger before very deliberately. There is a hunger that I see in people for that. You know, the old school, and it has nothing to do with age. There could be very young people being stuck to old school, but I think it's disappearing because they won't survive. It won't do. But is the environment and situation relevant for this work to occur? The answer is in my seeing, absolutely yes. I was wondering if we can explore this a little bit more. So you've talked about, and Chris asked about the environment. If we look at organizations, let's say before this crisis started up until today, and the need for leaders to adapt, to respond in the right way. On previous sessions, authenticity, they have to be really in touch with themselves. How can a leader signal to the organization that being in a position that is dynamic is okay. Because I feel like so much of this is down to communication and a leader can signal that they want to have a static environment by certain types of communication. And they can also signal that they are open to a dynamic environment. And I was wondering if you've seen through your examples, and maybe you can share where you've seen teams or organizations that are communicating a static leadership and a static environment and what that sounds like. And also then an organizational team that is in a, let's say with a dynamic leader in a dynamic environment and what that sounds like, just in terms of the type of language that is used and how as a dynamic leader, you can use certain language to signal that this is the kind of environment that is allowing this to happen. Because I think that's really important in terms of a cultural change. I presume it comes down to things like trust and safety, that the ability to kind of explore and experiment. And actually, all of these themes are very much in the adaption and the ability to kind of move forward in a new direction, which is kind of what we're talking about here. It's a great question. I'm not sure if I'm prepared to answer it. But if I make an attempt, you know, the language I just used beforehand, words like trust, respect, openness, honesty, authenticity, and I could go on. To me, that falls into dynamic. Words like it's my way or the highway, that would be more static to me. Playing it safe. I don't think there's any room to play it safe these days. Hoteliers who play it safe now, they will probably not survive. We have always done it that way. That would be static to me. 
I need to be right about this. My being right is more important than exploring new options. That to me would be a communication in the terms of static. It's okay what we do now, let's just keep it that way. Survive to me is static. If you hear people talking about survival, that to me is in static world. If I go to thrive, now we have a different conversation. So I think I will probably watch out for words like this to make that distinction. And you would hear that in the communication. I don't think it's enough anymore for leaders to survive. No, it's constantly what's next. And there are times where it's okay to be okay with stacking. But if my company four seasons that I was associated for many, many years had the good luck. But if we would have said to stagnate is okay, I would have lost my job. It was constantly looking for that what's the next opportunity to elevate. And that's why we stayed so great for so many years. It was always the search for excellence, knowing that excellence, we probably will never achieve it, but it was never good enough. And I think so it's maybe that distinction. And I'm looking when I work with teams, I'm, I'm looking is survival present, is righteousness present, is safety present, is a need for over control present. And it frequently is the case. And I don't make you wrong. It's very important. I don't make you wrong, but I want people to see it and then operate from a place of choice. Is that way of being behaving really working for you right now? If it is, great. If it isn't, great, because then you have an opportunity to shift from that place of resistance into acceptance and apply something new. And it surely will have you in uncomfortable and it will surely require you to take some risks. And you have no clue whether your new envisioned way of being will actually yield the result. I mean, that's just damn uncomfortable. But it's the only way forward in my scene if you're committed to something new. That's an attempt at a communication piece. So I would look for what words are they using? Is it trust, openness, respect? honesty, authenticity, contribution, commitment, responsibility, I could go on. That to me is in dynamic space. And if I hear I need to be right, I need to play it safe, I need to be in control, I will choose not to get out into discomfort, I'm okay with stagnant and stale, that would be the words that I would be looking for. That's almost a nice segue into something I wanted to explore with you, Patrick, which is your model and what we've talked about so far is quite individually orientated. It's a personal thing. Acceptance, how does that resonate beyond the individual? So what's the impact of that on team? You know, we're talking about leadership. I guess there's two parts to it. One is what is the impact then on those around you, perhaps in the team? And how can you instill the similar thinking more broadly than just yourself to impact on a great organizational level? You're speaking to my heart. That's such a great question. So it is not Actually, it starts with me as an individual, right? So it is very individual and I use it in coaching all the time. Here's the beauty when I do that with teams, whether I do that with an executive team of 10 people or whether I do it with a larger group of up to 35, 40, that's the beauty because I use the same approach. But then people, when I facilitate, start to show up authentically and they start to notice where am I in resistance? Where am I in acceptance? And they start to share it. Somebody else says, hold on, where you're in resistance, that's a place where I operate from strength and acceptance. I can actually support you in this. So all of a sudden in teams, that's why I do what I do. And we absolutely bring this into teams. And after typically a period of two days when I work with teams, you'll see that the team is operating from a much greater place of acceptance than before as a team. It doesn't mean that everyone in the team is shifting all the time. No. 
as I said, we make that choice to be resistant. And there are team members who are might be in resistance right now, but frankly speaking, 10 minutes later could be an accept operating for a place of acceptance or something very different. And somebody who was coming across as hugely dynamic in terms of one topic could be absolutely in resistance. The joy that I have when I work with team, again, we work on awareness. Where are you right now? I take inventory, right? So as a team, we take inventory typically on three levels. We take inventory as part of the organization let's say a hotel, where are we right now? We take inventory functionally and we take inventory self. I go to three levels and I always have a sheet, you know, and divide up what's working right now. Great. What's not working right now. Great. In your organization. Then we take a level lower. What's working in my function. What's not working in my function. Both is great. We just need to know. And then we go to self. What's working with me. What's not working with me. And we talk about it as a team without fail. In my experience over the last five years, since I'm in that work, a team starts to A, become more aware, B, they start to own it because they don't make themselves wrong anymore if they operate from a place of resistance. And they start to share very authentically with one another. What occurs? Greater team cohesion, greater team effectiveness, and they yield new results without fail. So does this translate to teams? The answer is yes. And that's the joy that I have because it allows me to facilitate that work in the personal domain when I do one-on-one coaching, what John does too. And when I have the good fortune to work with teams, be that a small executive group or a larger team. So absolutely, absolutely applicable to teams. Yes, you may need to hire me to get you going. (laughs) That keeps me in business, but it's just facilitating that piece. And then once teams get connected with them, they can actually really practice this within their organization and bring it further down in the organization. I really like that, Patrick. I wonder if I can kind of maybe extrapolating Chris's question one step further and listening to you respond to that. It sounds like this, we've talked about individual, we've talked about teams. You can almost bleed this one level further and say we're actually talking about organizational culture and the culture of the organization becomes dynamic. It may have been static, it moves to dynamic. You know, you've got classic examples, rank, static, fail to move with the times and fails accordingly. I'm wondering, you know, you've got agile as a theory behind this as well of means of implementing that dynamic culture within your business. Can you draw on your experiences working with businesses to perhaps talk about how this has manifested itself? For example, you talked about looking at it on three levels, examining how your business operates. Have clients of yours taken it steps further? Have you seen dynamic thinking adapted as as a culture? And if so, how? Yes. So when I started out that work, I started on an individual hotel level. I would work with a general manager and his or her planning committee or with a larger team. That's how it started. At some point, one of the participants then said, hey, I want some individual coaching for one of my members. So that's how I slid it into coaching. I'm not certified, but because of the work, I then took this to an individual level. And then I had the good fortune to go a level up. So at some point, I was asked would you work with a CEO of a company so that we can effect change on a larger scale? And I went to, I mean, I was scared, excuse my English, I was scared shitless because I've never done it. I worked with general managers and teams. That was my comfort zone. But I got invited to work with a CEO of a hotel company. And we took 50% of her corporate circle into the equation. And we brought in 50% of the field. And we're talking about organizational adjustment and change. And I did exactly the same thing. Now, it was hard at times because they were vying towards operational change and noticing that some change needed to happen to create a different company culture. But the CEO wanted it, supported it, 
was operating from a place of openness, honesty, trust, respect, and allowed that to happen. And there was a team at play after two and a half days work with them that shifted largely from here's how we always done it a certain way into, okay, let's look at it, what no longer works. And it resulted into organizational cultural change. So yes, it's applicable on all levels. And today, after good fortune, I had a prospect call with the CEO of a hotel company yesterday. Whether it yields result or not, I don't know yet. But I absolutely have the confidence that this work is applicable to organizations in the larger scale, individual entities, and individual people. And frankly speaking, by now I'm bold enough we could take this to a different level. I'm talking governments have this fantasy somehow. Could we elevate this to a different level? I absolutely think it's possible. So this work is not limited to the hotel industry. This work that I do, I come to see is absolutely universal. Does this respond to your question? So it absolutely can be played on every level. Now, when I worked with a CEO, I was in dynamic because I was scared shitless. I was absolutely outside of my comfort zone. I took some major risks in that facilitation that I'd never taken before, how I was being with the CEO as a facilitator coming from the outside. I took some major risks. The result that we together generated by being in that space was great, but I needed to be ready that it didn't work. It was a possibility. And people told me, specific that organization, when you go there, it's not going to work. Well, you don't tell me that, but it would have been a possibility possibility. If it didn't work, first place for me to go to if I stay dynamic. Okay, great. It didn't work. How do I need to be differently next time to have it work? Versus blaming for myself for not being successful in facilitating, blaming the CEO for not showing up the way I think she or he should have showed up. You know what I mean? That would be a healthy place. But in that case, I created jointly with a team a result that worked great. And it assisted in my boldness that I feel now very comfortable working with CEOs. And I say there are other opportunities for us to explore. Patrick, I think it was very comprehensive. I think it was a great response to the question. So much of this is predicated on being outside of one's comfort zone and willing to take risk. The irony is actually when we're younger, we do a lot of this without thinking too much. <laughs> right? We happily take risks, we go outside of our comfort zone. However, it seems to get and be harder as we progress or in a position for a longer period of time. And what I'm taking from the discussion so far is that when you have a team that is doing this together, they can kind of support each other with this shift to being dynamic because they're helping each other get outside of their comfort zone and they're supporting each other in terms of taking risk, which is what I really like. So you start to get, it's okay okay, we're going to do this together. And so I have a question when bringing it back to individuals. So if you're coaching an individual and they're going through this journey by themselves, what do you recommend to them in terms of building out maybe a support structure that allows them to feel comfortable or allows them to get in a position where they feel more comfortable in terms of taking risk, also getting outside of their comfort zone? Because it's one thing to be able to, even when you start looking at this, say it's my approach, looking at it reflectively, okay, I've made the choice. I want to be more dynamic. Okay. I'm going to accept. And now I need to get outside my comfort zone. So I was just wondering, yeah, if you can share with us what you recommend to individuals to allow them to not navigate quickly back into that static leadership role. Such a great question. Coming back to teams for one second, you're right. I always say it takes one to go. 
And I call it when one pops, the team pops. I'm done. I'm always anxious as one going. And then when one goes, I know we're golden. So it takes one to start the process other than the facilitate. Coming back to individuals. So it's the awareness of the module. As I said beforehand, I bring that module into every single coaching session sooner or later, depending when the situation warrants it. It's that awareness and it's a practicing and it's a talking about it to others. So my coaching is behavior-based. It's not performance-based. And does it have an impact on performance? Absolutely. It better has. Again, it has its results orientation. But my my focus is on being slash behavior. So if you shift from static into dynamic, that requires a shift in being. So I give you an example. I'm acutely aware of my need to be right. Acutely. Again, ask my wife. Acutely. In the domain of leadership, facilitation, and coaching, there is zero place for righteousness. I can only shift out of my need to be right because I'm acutely aware that I have an innate need of being right because I am aware of it. I know when righteousness is not yielding the result that I want. And then I can shift into acceptance and practice something new, possibly called humility in that moment. So it is a seeing, it's a noticing, it's a practicing new behavior, and it is talking about it. If I mean talking about it, you're not alone in this and get to practice with people in the real world, whether that's your spouse, whether that's a fellow employee. You know, I work with hotel managers quite often the number two is very often in hotel industries. It seems to be a niche and I get hired for this. I always say, get aligned with your boss about it. There's nothing to be kept confidential here. The more you open up with your superior and peers and people reporting to you about what we're doing here and what you're practicing and what's working for you and what's not working for you. So the more authenticity that's practiced even around their process of coaching, the more successful they become. If they do this all alone, too exclusive, almost in secrecy, limited success. If they talk about their shortcomings plainly, I have a great example if I may use it. I currently coach a general manager of a hotel company and he took four times a stab at getting a job and four times he didn't get it. And the feedback that he got that he was too restrained, reserved, and didn't create connectivity with the owner. It was a much harsher judgment, which I won't disclose here, but it was just a lack of connectivity. I was fortunate enough to work with him on this authenticity piece. And he goes to the interview in the fifth opportunity, and he tells that potential owner that, you know, what's not working with me is I occasionally have a difficulty to connect because of X, Y, Z. He got the job. And I heard from three sources that that owner said, you know what impressed me was this guy's authenticity, how he showed up and spoke about his weakness of not connecting. He got the job. So why am I using this example? I think that the keyword authenticity is in there and the willingness to talk about your shortcomings slash opportunities because they are not bad. We're not judging those as wrong any longer. And the more we own those, we fess up to those, and we get comfortable to talking to people about it, including owners, my boss, peers, subordinates. The more that work spreads and the more you become credible in your new way of being and behaving. Does this respond somewhat to your question? Absolutely, Patrick. Yeah. Thank you very much.
And it, it resonates a lot, Patrick, with my, albeit limited experience in the coaching world, just maybe if I can pick up on that, that this is a journey of a thousand steps. It's not undertaken in one giant leap. The movement from a static or fixed mindset to a dynamic or growth mindset will take time. And as you've so rightly talked about support, encouragement of others, openness, starting with awareness, they're all, you know, time and again, I see this in clients coming back to this point, but then encouraging them to understand that this requires patience and time and trial and error and don't try and undertake a seismic shift as you worked alongside your client organizations over a number of months, I'm guessing, to move them into that space. It's not going to happen overnight. Interesting that you say, sometimes it's very quick. I just gave you one example that was handled within three weeks and it was just a shift in behavior. And occasionally it takes a long, long time and it takes practice. I take the stand that I'm a deeply flawed human being, you know, deeply flawed human being. And I'm quite proud of it, including my arrogance and my righteousness and what have you. I'm deeply flawed. I'm just not making it wrong anymore. Sometimes I really don't like this about me, but it's irrelevant. But because I own my deeply flawed being, that provides an opening to becoming just a little less flawed and maybe in striving to become a more perfectly imperfect human being versus deeply flawed. But it will be a journey for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? And I've been in this domain for the past 15 years, first as a recipient for a long time. And boy, my learning continues. And now after good fortune for the past eight years, I've been in it, facilitating it for the past five on my own. But it is a journey. And in every single interaction with either individuals or teams, my learning is equally big. So I'm actually being paid for learning. Are you with me? I give learning and opportunities and I facilitate and I think I do it quite successfully. But the learning for me is in equal measure every single time. It just continues to evolve me further in that quest to elevate. I'm an absolute believer of constant learning. I think if we stop learning, we are done. Whether that's right or not, I don't know, but it's a fundamental belief I have. My dad's 92 and he's still learning in his own way. The flame is going out, but in his own way, he's still learning every day. And to me, that is so bloody inspirational. If we stop learning, I think it's time to check out. Patrick, on that note, I'm going to do a quick wrap up of the session. Actually, we've covered a lot and obviously around the static and dynamic leadership, that it's okay to be in either of those as long as it's a conscious choice. I can decide if I want to go from one or the other, depending on the particular situation. However, what I take from this, it's important to be objective and to try and not make a judgment about the situation, about the event, whether it's right or wrong, and also to be able to reflect on the emotions and not react to them. And that if my approach isn't working, it doesn't yield the desired results, I need to change my approach, not everything else. Obviously, the opportunity of moving into dynamic leadership allows me to work outside and be outside of my comfort zone and the opportunity to take more risk, which given any environment is probably less risky than taking no risk and staying in comfort zone, especially in an environment that we have, which is a change driven environment, which I guess I think we'll all agree is the future. I also take from this that you can't go it alone. So either if it's part of a team or if you're a leader who wants to, first of all, get themselves into a position where they are in a position of dynamic leadership, it's important that there's an open communication with, let's say, allies and friends and trusted network in order to allow that to happen, but then openly communicate afterwards to start to instill the organizational recognition that this kind of approach is actually very 
much accepted, which can in itself lead to change in the teams and the organizations and ultimately the culture. So I'm sure I've missed many elements, but I just wanted to at least praise what the session so far has been about. Probably the most succinct summary I've ever seen. Maybe you should have just listened to you for five minutes and we would have been done with it. Really, really good. Patrick, I'm only able to do this because of all the wonderful conversation and inspirational conversation we've had on this session. So what I'd like to do now is I'm going to hand over to John, who's going to give a close to the recording of this session. But thank you very much, Patrick, for this session. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Indeed. Thanks, Jonathan. And thanks, Patrick. Chris will give you our thanks after this. And thank you to the participants for joining us today. I hope you found this as fascinating as we did. It's available through the Hospitality Resilience website. And it will be available as a podcast, as a full video, and there will be an article as well. It's also available on our LinkedIn page. So do please take a look and join us for our next session, Wednesday, the 30th of June when we have a discussion with Pekka. I can't possibly pronounce his surname. I will only do it a hideous injustice, so I'm not even going to try. Pekka joins us from Hintza, who are a leading well-being company, and Pekka's going to discuss nice to have to must have, so the demands of hybrid working and the positive impact of well-being on a company's performance. So do join us for that on Wednesday the 30th of June. I will hand over to Chris to say the final thank yous before we move to the next part of the session. Thank you. Yes, as the guys said, Patrick, thank you so much. We're uh, indebted to you for especially this early hour. It's probably actually time for coffee number two, I would think, uh, just gone eight in the morning with you. But thank you. We really appreciate the contribution. Thank you to all those for attending. And if you wish to stay on and have some more interactive discussion with Patrick, you're absolutely welcome to do so. You don't need to go anywhere, so just stay here. And I think the technology gods will kind of work all of that out. But Patrick has kindly agreed to, to hang around for another half hour. Thank you.